The Apostle Paul had one desire that overruled everything, and that was that his people, the Jewish people, would be saved. And that's a good thing. I mean, that people, you know, I don't care what culture you're from, what nation you're from, you ought to have a burden about your people. You ought to have a burden about your nation. And Paul had it uh, in Acts 18.21. Look there in verse 21. I've got to get there myself. It says this. He's, He's leaving Ephesus, and he bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast, the feast of Pentecost, that cometh in Jerusalem. i got to get there. But I will return again unto you, if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus. Paul is, and when we get to chapter 21 where we're going, Paul's arrived back in Jerusalem. And uh, he has waited for the right moment to be able to do what Peter did on the day of Pentecost. You remember Peter got on out of the balcony of the upper room and he preached and 3,000 got saved. There were 10,000, 20,000 people in an audience as he preached. And Paul's waiting for the right moment to do the same. He ends up being told that he needs to cleanse himself from being with Gentiles and he needs to shave his head and go through a Jewish ceremony, which was all wasted. It wasn't needed to be done, but he was doing it. He was becoming a Jew to win the Jews. That's what his, his life was, I don't care if they're weak, I don't care if they're barbarians, I'm going to become down at their level to give them the gospel. And so he's going through all that. And it's seven days he has been doing the things. It was a week-long ceremony. And it's almost done. Everything's almost finished. And somebody notices him in the temple and they falsely accuse him of defiling the temple, of polluting it of soiling the temple in jerusalem and he ends up being beaten to death almost uh and it's a roman captain named lysias claudius lysias who intervenes and and rescues paul and he he gets airlifted in the truest sense they have to actually lift him up and hold him above the soldiers because everybody's trying to get at him and trying to rip his body limb off and they're trying to kill Paul. And at that moment, when, uh, if you go to chapter 21 now, at that moment, Paul should be the most discouraged because everything has collapsed. Everything has gone wrong. All he wanted to do was tell um, 100,000 people gathered in Jerusalem as best as he could how to get saved. He wanted to give them another shot at the gospel. And everything's now wrong. He's now been falsely accused. He's now been beaten almost to death. He's now having to be carried out of Jerusalem. And he stops there. And he says, give me one more chance. I want you to see Paul's deepest desire in this disaster. And can I say, every one of us have those moments where our life is a disaster. And we think there's nothing, uh, there's, there's nothing that I can do. And that's when God says, preach. It's when God says, give your testimony. It's when God says, talk about me. So uh, this becomes the greatest day of his life. He gets his deepest wish, and yet his most dangerous day of his life. So don't just look for that mountaintop experience. Just be ready for when God opens the door and things happen. Look there in chapter 22, verse 27, and an opportunity opens up for Paul. Verse 37 Chapter, I said 22, 21. 
I'm sorry, chapter 21, verse 37. And as Paul was to be led into the castle, I want you to understand, uh, let me give you back the background. Um, verse 34, the crowd, it says, some cried one thing against Paul, verse 34, some another, and among the multitude. And when he could not, Lysias, Claudius Lysias, the captain, could not know the certainty for the tumult, the riot, he commanded him to be carried into the castle. And when he came unto the stairs, so it was that he was born of the soldiers, carried of the soldiers for the violence of the people. For the multitude of the people followed after crying away with him. Verse 37 now. And as Paul was to be led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, May I speak unto thee? Who said, Canst thou speak Greek? So here's this Jew. They spoke Hebrew. And then Paul speaks in Greek to the Roman. And the Romans says, Canst thou speak Greek? Verse 38. Art thou not that Egyptian, which before these days made us an uproar and led us out into the wilderness, 4,000 men that were murderers? Are you that guy? Verse 30. But Paul said, I'm a man, which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. What is he doing? <laughs> he says, let me talk. I mean, I'm sure he's got blood coming down his face. I'm sure he's beaten and bruised from the crown of his foot, his, his feet to the soles of his foot. He is aching. He's probably speaking through swollen uh, lips and cheek, and he's probably got a broken jaw. We have no idea, and he says, let me say something. Now, most of us in that situation, facing a mob of people who want you dead, he says, can I talk to him? That's the Apostle Paul. That's why this is the book of Acts, not the book of sitting. This is where, in the midst of where you just want to give up, Christians keep going, and they just keep preaching. They keep talking. So uh, most of us would have been overwhelmed by such hurt and by our wounds. Have you ever been mistreated? I mean, where somebody just took advantage of you, hurt you? And then you just felt like, I can't do it anymore. I can't do it anymore. This is it. I'm over. Finished. That's exactly what the devil wants. He wants to hurt you and me so bad that we no longer can shine like we're called to do. And there's not a person in this room who hadn't been hurt by somebody somewhere deeply. It's part of life, unfortunately. It's part of, part of our sin nature to hurt one another. But... It is not easy to smile and praise God when you're hurting. And yet, here's Paul doing it as our example. So Paul stood, here he is being dragged up. I like how some people draw these things. They're being pulled up. The crowd at the back is, boy, they're fighting at those soldiers just to get at them, just to take a bite out of them. And Paul's being led up these stairs. It's called the Fortress Antonio. Uh, in Jerusalem is where the Roman soldiers were kept. They're bringing him in there to protect him from that crowd. And as he stood on the edge of those stairs and looked squarely into the eyes of that crowd, he begins to speak with passion and burden and heart and purpose and determination and resolve. He says, I may never get another chance. So Paul had determination. What was he determined to do? To use even this opportunity. Even in, in, when, when the crowd has turned against you, he says, let me speak, let me try. 
I need you to take your Bible. We're going to do a couple of scriptures here. Hold your place here in Acts 21. Go to 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, just after Hebrews. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 14. 1 Peter 3, 14. First Peter three fourteen. But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Now do you know who's writing this? This is not Paul writing, it's Peter, because Peter's gone through his own turmoils. He says, Don't be afraid, don't be troubled, verse fifteen, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. That means keep him out of your hurt, keep him unsoiled from your anger and from your reaction, keep him high and holy. Uh, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Paul says, this is my chance to be able to give them a reason why I'm so joyful, why my life is different. His greatest opportunity has come. Paul then gives his defense. Back to Acts chapter 22 now. Paul, in the next 21 verses, makes his defense and gives his testimony. Acts 22 and verse 1. Oh, I didn't think I read. Uh, uh, verse 40, it says this in chapter 21, verse 40. And when he had given him license, he gave him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and he beckoned with the hand unto the people. And when he... There and, and when there was made a great silence, he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue. And that got their attention. I mean, whew, all right, so you're speaking in my mother tongue. You're speaking in our language here. You're not speaking in Greek. You're not showing off in Latin. You're speaking Hebrew. And he begins in verse 21. Men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye now my defense which I make now unto you. Guess what? Paul's going to give his testimony. He's not going to use theology. He's not going to use a legal defense. He's going to give his personal testimony of what has happened in his life. He's going to tell his story. You know, this story of, of how he got saved and when he got saved and who saved him is what he loved preaching about the most. You will see it repeated over and over in the book of Acts. Anytime Paul got a chance to preach, especially to a group of unsaved people, he'd just tell them, his testimony. Uh, that's what Jesus said to do. Go to Luke. Hold your place here in Acts. Go to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. Verse 10. Say, Pastor, it's getting really dark out there. Troubles are coming. I mean, nuclear war. There are insane people in charge of government. When has that not ever happened? been true? Uh, it's, it's so bad. We'll look in verse chapter 21 of Luke, verse 10. Then said he, Jesus, unto his disciples, nation shall rise against nation. They must have had RT back then. <laughs> kingdom against kingdom. And great earthquakes shall be in diverse places and famines and pestilences and fearful sights and great signs shall there be from heaven. Hmm. In the midst of great troubles, verse 20, verse Verse 12, before all these, they shall lay their hands on you, not to hug you, <laughs> and persecute you, delivering you up into the synagogues and under prisons, 
being brought before kings and rulers just because you're following me for my name's sake. And that's when you give your story. You're not being brought before for a state dinner, not being brought before these kings and princes and, and lawyers and judges just to hobnob and have great fellowship. No, verse 13, it shall turn to you for a what? What's your story? When you do ever get in trouble for being a Christian, I wonder if anybody would. <laughs> I mean, if somebody took you to court for being a Christian, is there any evidence they have? What a shame. But if they ever did, that's your chance to give your story. Because all of their attention will be on you and it will turn to you for a testimony. Settle it therefore, verse 14, in your hearts not to meditate before what you shall answer. Don't go over your notes about what to say. Because if you're saved, you can say it. You can tell it. I mean, if you're married, you ought to be able to say, you don't have to have written notes about, let me tell you about, uh, let me, I think I got on page three how I met my wife. <laughs> I mean, it ought to be easy, amen. Verse 22, chapter 22 of, of Acts now, back there in verse 2. He spoke in Hebrew, and when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silence. And he saith, verse 3, what's he say? I am verily, I am truly a man which am a Jew. His testimony is, let me tell you who I am. I'm a Jew. I'm not ashamed of it, he says. That's who I am. I was a, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, which was over... It was a nearby area in, in Turkey, modern Turkey, and it was a, a Roman uh, free city. People who were born there and lived there were free from taxes and they had rights and stuff like this. But he says, I am a Jew. I am not a, I'm not a stranger to any of you. I'm not a foreigner. You know me. I'm one of your own people. And he goes on. He says, I verily am a man which am a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, Yet brought up in this city, I grew up here, he says, at the feet of one of the greatest Bible teachers of that day, Old Testament, obviously, named Gamaliel. And I was taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers. And I was zealous toward God, as ye all are this day. Now, he's talking to people who just kicked him and beat him almost to death. He says, I was zealous like you. I am a Jew. That's what it meant to be a Jew. You protected your nation. You saw the world as, as enemies. You saw them as threats. I am a Jew. Verse 4. And I am a persecutor. I persecuted this way. Notice, you ought to circle those two words. This way. When he says this way, that's, that's how the Jews referred to uh, Jesus as the way and the truth and the life. That's how they mocked him and says, oh, they didn't even say his name. I persecuted this, this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. I was not a racist. Yes, he was. <laughs> I wasn't misogynist. I only dealt with men. No, I dealt with everybody who claimed to be following Jesus. I punished them all. As a high priest doth bear me witness in all the estate of the elders, from whom also I received letters unto the brethren and went to Damascus to bring them which were there. That's like 90 miles away to bring them bound 
unto Jerusalem for to be punished. You know, Paul there refers back 20 years earlier and back when he was there when Stephen was, was stoned, he went from house to house and he dragged men and women out of those houses and beat them personally, put them in prison, forced them to blaspheme the name of Jesus in order to get out of prison and to go home. He was cruel. That's what his life was. Paul is basically telling those zealous Jews, I have never sat on the sidelines. I was not, I wasn't sure to do this or do that. No, I was zealous. I was anti-Christ and I was anti-Christian to the max. He says, I hated the way. I hated the very name of Jesus. By the way, that's still a very modern attitude today, isn't it? Just say his name. <laughs> Persecuting every and any Jew who thought Jesus was the Messiah. And he bragged how he even went up to the Sanhedrin and got permission to go up to Damascus and drag people down to Jerusalem to persecute them more and to punish them more simply because they followed Jesus. They believed he was alive simply. You know why we have freedom of religion now? Because of this kind of stuff, the abuse of people who disagree with you. They, they, they sought to kill anybody that wasn't like them. And that's over, folks. You're allowed to disagree with me, amen. But I got to be allowed to preach what the Bible says too, amen. Even if you don't like it, that's freedom of religion. Paul, however, by him talking about this life, he's got no pride about it. He's quite ashamed of what he's saying. Because he stood there and watched Stephen stoned and fall to the earth and say, Father, forgive them. Wow. He remembers every face of everyone that he punished. And here he is being beaten himself now. He's getting a little bit of payback and he realizes, what a fool I was. I persecuted this way. And he goes on, and then he says, then Jesus saved me. Look in verse 6. And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus, about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light about me. And I fell to the ground. That's a good place to go to when you meet Jesus, by the way. And I heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me, they saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. I need you to circle the words to me each time. Notice, you see, salvation is not a group thing. Jesus needs to speak to you and needs to convict you and humble you. The other guys, they knew something was going on. There's this bright light out of the sky. It's brighter than the sun. And, and Paul's in, in mesmerized. And sounds like there's some voice. And, but Jesus was dealing with one man, not all of them. And if there's something you've got to understand, I can preach to this entire crowd, but Jesus Christ needs to speak to you. And you've got to get saved, and you've got to make a decision this morning. This is not a crowd thing. Paul was blinded. Talk about blinded by the light. That's where it comes from. You ever seen these alien abduction movies, you know? You're sitting these guys in these old trucks. They're all in Ford trucks, you know, driving down the road, and then a light appears. <laughs> and then the truck begins to go up into the spaceship. Well, this is the first 
bright light over somebody there, and Paul's talking to Jesus Christ. The voice spoke to me, said to me, he said unto me, and the voice of him that spake unto me, and you know, he called his name twice. I mean, that's serious. When my mom called my name twice, I jumped. Because I knew I was in trouble, all right? <laughs> and here was Jesus saying, Saul. I mean, think about Saul. Saul is full of fury. I don't know if he's on a horse, a mule, or he's walking. He's headed up to Damascus. He's got one thing in mind. I'm going to go find those Christians, and I'm going to hurt them. Saul, what? Saul, what? Jesus has his attention now. Calls his name. Then he answers back. Who are you? Lord? Is that you? And you know, that's when Paul's worst fear was experienced. Jesus could have said, I am the I am. Amen? Like he did with Moses. Jesus could have said, I am the son of God. But what did Jesus say? I'm that hillbilly. That Jesus of Nazareth that you hate. I'm that guy that lived up in Galilee that you thought in Nazareth nothing good ever comes from. I'm Jesus of Nazareth, the guy you don't know and you mocked all your life. So Jesus asked him and said, why are you fighting me so hard? And that's when Paul says his life changed. Because even though Paul had hated him and wanted Jesus dead and gone, even though he had never really paid attention. I'm sure Paul was in Jerusalem at times that Jesus was in Jerusalem. And Paul would make sure he was on the other side of the street and he'd get out of there and not listen to what Jesus had to say. Even though he knew of all those miracles that Jesus had done, even though he saw crowds following Jesus, Paul is describing how Jesus still wanted him. You know, it's hard to want to be around an enemy, isn't it? It's hard to say, that person hates my guts. I think I'll go give them a hug. <laughs> and yet, the enemy of Jesus was pursued by Jesus. That's love. That's the grace of God. See, you don't have to go looking for him to find out he's been looking for you. Amen. And all the years of your life where you mock God, you, you made fun of church, you made fun of the Bible, Jesus is saying, I'm going to get that guy. I'm not going to stop until he stops breathing. That is the love and the grace of Almighty God for me, just as much as it was for Paul. You know what Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.15? This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Everybody ought to accept this as truth, that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am chief. That's his testimony. He came for me. That's when Paul was forgiven of all of that. Verse 10. <clears throat> and I said, well, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, arise and go to Damascus, and there it shall be told thee all the, of all things which are appointed for thee to do. Paul says, my life has a different agenda now. Jesus actually has something for me to do. Now, maybe it's just go to, go to Damascus. Just take one day at a time, Led better. Paul, just go to Damascus, and there you'll find out what to do next. A lot of people worry about, what if God calls me to be a missionary? <laughs> do you know what? Just get to Damascus. 
Just get to church. Just do what you're supposed to do today. Let God guide you every day. He'll get you where he wants you. Amen. Lord Jesus didn't say to Paul, Paul, you're going to preach to kings and to the Sanhedrin. You're going to do all this. No, Paul, just go to Damascus. That's what I want you to do. Isn't that cool? Jesus called him. Keep going there in verse 11. When I could not see for the glory of that light being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came to Damascus. Notice he's blind. As that light disappears, darkness comes upon him and he can't see. And men take him by the hand and they walk him all the way humiliatingly, all the way to Damascus. <clears throat> Verse um, 12, And one Ananias, everybody knew about this guy as well, a devout man, according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews was dwelt there. He was no rebel. He wasn't some heretic. He was a godly man. He came to me and he stood and said unto me, Brother Saul. He's already saved. He's been actually blind for three days, and so he's been sitting there for three days, and uh, Ananias comes and finds him and says, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. In the same hour I looked up upon him. What a miracle. Verse 14, and he continues, Ananias said, The Lord, the God of our fathers has chosen thee that thou shouldest know his will <laughs> and see that just one, the Messiah, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. Did you notice, did Ananias bring up all his sins? Did Jesus bring up all his sins? Huh. Evidently, something has happened. Those aren't there anymore, amen. The record is clean. Saul the Terminator, Saul the Killer, is welcomed into the family of God. Ananias is sitting there, and he, Ananias is terrified. If you go back there when, in Acts chapter 9, when Ananias meets him, Ananias says to the Lord, he's arguing with the Lord, saying, Lord, he's a killer. I know, go in there, and, and I want you to talk to him. He's okay. He's with me now. And Ananias, shaking at his knees, comes into Paul and says, Brother Saul, wow. It, it, is, it is something when God can take people who are possibly so far apart and such enemies and puts them into a family called the family of God. That only God can do that. The United Nations can't even do it. Keep going there. Uh, uh, where did I leave off? Uh, verse 14. I already read that. Yeah, hear the voice of his mouth. Verse 15. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. Now, that was the beginning of his call. Acts 1.8 says, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. And then he goes on. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You're just going to go into all the world. <laughs> And you get to be his witness. You get to give your testimony, your story of what thou hast seen and heard right here and now. Verse 16. And why? And now, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized. And wash away thy sins. How? Now, by being baptized, he gives you the verb right there, calling on the name of the Lord. That's where his salvation was. Amen. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be? Amen. Amen. Now, as soon as you get saved, what's the first thing you ought to do? Get baptized. Amen. That's the first step of the Christian. You don't have, oh, I need to pray about this, Ledbetter. No, you don't. You get saved, and then you tell the world, I'm saved. That's what baptism is. And here is Paul talking about, if he told me to stand on my head, I would have stood on my head. He just told me, let's get baptized. Let's do it. He called me. He showed me his will for my life. 
He allowed me to hear his voice. I don't understand it. I can't tell you. Some people ask me, how do I find God's will? And I can't tell you God's will. I just know there are things that you should be doing. Number one, you should get saved. That's the will of God. He's not willing any should perish. You ought to live a holy life. That's the will of God for your life. Amen. Uh, you ought to fellowship with the believers. There's enough to keep you busy for the rest of your life just knowing what God said do before you start worrying about, is there something special for me to do? Because if you start doing all the, the right things in the Bible, God will then direct you into a special direction. Maybe show you the right woman to marry, the right man to marry, and believe me, you need that. You need his help. Maybe what career to take, maybe to be a preacher, a pastor's wife. I don't know. I just know the Lord needs to show you, not me. Verse uh, 17. And it came to pass that when I was come again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in the trance. So he's just going back over. I was there. I was praying in the temple. That's what the temple was for, was for prayer. And I was in a trance. I wasn't, I was just, I just was so caught up in my prayer. And I saw him, I saw Jesus saying unto me, make haste, Paul, and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem. Run for your life, <laughs> for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. And I said, Lord, they know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believeth on thee, believed on thee. What's he doing? He's saying, they know I'm no threat. They know I used to be one of them. This is my chance, Lord. Verse 20, he reminds him and says, And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. They know me. I'm no threat to them. Verse 21, And he said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the who? Uh, Jesus warned me about you guys, he said. Just before I got attacked, I knew I better. I, I was supposed to leave. I was supposed to get out of there. You know, um, Peter's calling was to the Jews. Peter was uh, was a uneducated, ignorant fisherman. God, Jesus called uh, Peter. I want you to witness to those really religious, high muckety mucks, those Jews. And then he took a really intelligent Jew, Paul. He says, I want you to go to talk and give the gospel to those dumb Gentiles. God does the opposite of what we think. And Paul thought his testimony would ring true with those zealous lost Jews. He believed he could reason from their viewpoint. And sometimes that works. But Jesus had different plans for Paul. Now, I think Paul has made a mistake. I think Paul has gone into Jerusalem with the best of hearts. Whew. But he almost got killed. And Jesus said, I told you to go to the Gentiles. <laughs> and then here's Paul. He says, but, but one more chance, Lord. Let me just speak one more time. Isn't he, isn't he amazing? His heart is driving him to talk to the Jews one more time. But he says a bad word. Gentile. There, when he hits that last word there, verse 21, and he said unto me, he's given his testimony, he's given a story that Jesus said to me, I'm sending thee far hence unto the Gentiles, verse 22, and they gave him audience unto this word. <laughs> you have to understand the Jews did not like Gentiles. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, 
um, I think, what was that What was that serial where they talked about don't mention the war? What was that one, Faulty Towers? Okay. Well, this is, Paul, say anything, but don't mention the Gentiles. Because as soon as he says that word, that crowd goes crazy with anger. The word Gentiles upset them because they saw Gentiles as dogs, not even human. They saw them as swine. They saw Gentiles as unsavable, unredeemable, as abandoned by God. Only the Jews were able to be saved in their minds. And guess what? That's how zealous Jews still see us. We're unworthy of anything except to make money off of. That's how they see us. That's how they've seen us for thousands of years. Paul walked right to that mess and he says, Ah, Jesus called me to go to the Gentiles. Ooh, I shouldn't have said that word. <laughs> and the crowd went crazy. Because when a Jew like Paul speaks of going to the Gentiles and giving them a message of hope and of invitation into God's kingdom, that's unthinkable. So they had enough. They have had enough. Verse 22, let me keep reading. They gave him audience unto this word and then lifted their voices and said, away with such a, a fellow from the earth. Get rid of him. For it is not fit that he should live. And as they cried out and cast off their clothes and threw dust in the air, I mean like animals. You know, these, these people had heard enough from Paul, but you know what their problem was? They had never heard enough from the word. Let me take you to a couple of scriptures and show you what they should have read. Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah chapter 42. Holding your place there in Acts. We're almost done. Acts, Isaiah chapter 42. In verse 1. Funny how people who get angry at you for religion never read the source of religion. Wish they would just read the Bible. I ask people all the time, you ever read John chapter 3 where Jesus said, ye must be born again? Why don't you just read it? It's in your Bible. I mean, some of the Catholic Bible says you must be born from above. That works too. Good night. Just read it. Here, Isaiah chapter 41, and chapter 42, verse 1. Here's the Messiah. God writes and says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, not the Jews and not... Irish or any other elect or Calvinist, Jesus was the elect in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment, not condemnation, but justice. To who? Wow. The Messiah is going to care about the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street as if under abuse. He's not going to cry out. Verse 3. A bruised reed shall he not break. And the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set judgment in the earth. That word judgment is the same as what we'd say justice. And the isles shall wait for his law. Thus saith the Lord God, he that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it, he that giveth breath unto the people upon it, Spirit to them which walk, that walk therein. I, the Lord, have called thee, the Messiah, in righteousness. And I will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people. Why? To be a light to who? To open their blind eyes. Verse 7. 
to bring out the prisoners from the prison and to them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. Wow. Now, I want you to go one more. Chapter 65, Isaiah 65. It's funny how a little bit of Bible changed your theology. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 1. Jesus didn't only die for Jews, did he? He died for the world. God so loved the world. Chapter 65, verse 1, still in Isaiah, verse 1. I, uh, I am sought of them that ask not for me. What? Here's the Messiah saying, people are looking for me who never looked for me before. Speaking of Gentiles, I am found of them that sought me not. I said, behold me, behold me unto a nation that was not called by my name. Guess who those are? Gentiles. I have spread out my hands all day unto a rebellious people. Guess who they are? The Jews. Which walketh in a way that was not good after their own thoughts. A people that provoketh me to anger continually to my face. That sacrificeth in gardens and burneth incense upon altars of brick, which remain among the graves, they're dead, and lodge in the monuments, which eat swine's flesh, even the Jews were doing it, and the broth of abominable things in their vessels. Those are the Gentiles. Let me tell you, when Jesus was walking around this earth, he was first dealing with the Jews. He was dealing with his people and with God's people, but his heart was on the Gentiles too. And when Paul got saved and God called him to go to the Gentiles, Paul's got sort of that heart and he says, I'm now loving who you love, Lord, but I got to go back to the Jews. And he cared about people that didn't care about God. I hope you start to do that. I hope you start to care for people and do something, especially for your own people. I don't care what nation you come from. Let me finish this. Verse 25, Acts 22, 25. I don't think I read uh, 24. Yeah, 20, let me read um, 24. The chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and bade that he should be examined by scourging. <laughs> he already just has just come out of being beat up. And the chief captain says, Mah, I'm fed up with this guy. Let's, let's beat the truth out of him. So he's about to be whipped. Uh, that he might know whereof they, they cried so against him. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, Hmm, uh, can I ask you a question, sir, before you begin the beating? <laughs> is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? I haven't been tried yet, verse 26. When the centurion heard that he went and told the chief captain, he went and he told the chief captain, saying, Take heed what thou doest, for this man is a Roman. Then the chief captain, Lysias, came and said unto him, Tell me, art thou a Roman? And he said, Yes. And the chief captain answered, with a great sum obtained I this freedom. Wow. Citizenship cost money back then as well. <laughs> he said, I had to pay a lot of money to get this freedom and this citizenship. And Paul said, but I was freeborn. Oh, that's going to be rich here in a moment. Verse 29, and straightway they departed from him which should have examined him, beaten him. And the chief captain also was afraid after he knew that he was a Roman and because he had bound him and he knew he shouldn't do that to a Roman citizen. Paul was not just a Jew, but a Roman citizen. You know, in, in those days, just because you got born in a Roman territory didn't make you a citizen of Rome. Being a citizen of Rome had a lot of privileges, a lot of rights that normal people, serfs, slaves, other people didn't have. 
uh, and it's the same true today, somebody just in this country doesn't have all the rights of somebody who's an Irish nationality. But have you noticed citizenship can usually be bought, can't it? Mm -hmm. But Paul's Roman citizenship was given to him. He says, I was freeborn. Evidently, his father maybe bought for it, or maybe his father fought for the Romans and earned the right of citizenship for his children. I don't know, but Paul's got a great opportunity to say, I was, I was given this citizenship. I didn't pay for it. I didn't earn it. I couldn't work for it. I got it free. Isn't that what salvation is? You know, no one could mistreat a Roman citizen without due process, without taking them to court and going through proper legal proceedings. And if anybody was accused of, uh, of violating the, the rights of a Roman citizen, whatever you wanted to happen to that Roman citizen would happen to you. It kept things really nice. So verse 30 says this, And on the morrow, because he would have known the certainty whereof the, he was accused of the Jews, he wants to know why was there such a riot, he loosed him from his bands and commanded the chief priests and the council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. We start 23 next week. So Lysias has had enough. He prepares to beat Paul. Paul uses his Roman citizenship. Hmm. So sometimes it's okay to appeal to the law and say, uh, I have the right to speak or I have the right of silence. Folks, let me tell you, Paul says, it's time to pull out my citizen, my passport, and say, uh, don't beat me. And he used that. He says, this citizenship I got for free. And Paul is going to be given another chance now. He says, all right, I'm going to let your accusers come before you, and Paul's going to get to give the gospel again tomorrow. Isn't that cool? Paul's not deterred. Paul's not discouraged and says, I better get out of here. No, he's willing to stay around. And next week we'll see that he's going to give the gospel again. And he will do it for the rest of his life. Dear Christian, whatever opportunity God gives you, good times and bad times, use it. You end up in the hospital, talk to that doctor. Say, doctor, I know where I'm going when I die. And if I died this week, I know you are doing your best. Nurses, you guys, you're working tons of hours trying to help people like me. Where would you go if you died? Use the opportunity. You say, well, I'm hurting. I know. I know how hard it is. I've been hurt. They may not like it. Use the opportunity. Jesus says, you cannot determine the outcome. You can't say it perfectly. You can't convince logically you just tell your story you've just got to christian tell your story decide to speak up tell what you know do you even have a testimony who are you paul said i'm a jew you're able to say talk to that irish nurse if you're irish say i'm irish just like you i was catholic just like you i went to mass all the time but I was just lost. I was hitting my head against a wall. I didn't know where I would go when I died. I do now. Would you like to know? Amen. Can you really give it that simple? Yes. You're just telling your story. Paul actually goes back and reminds, and he says, let me tell you what I did. I used to mock the name of Jesus Christ. You know, everyone in this room, if you're saved, you know there's a time where you mocked Jesus. There's a time where church was a joke to you, where the Bible was fairy tales, where there was nothing in any of this stuff. And if you had the chance, you would tell a filthy joke and include Jesus in on it. 
you need to just bring that up and says, man, I used to hate Christians. <laughs> Had wanted nothing to do with the man upstairs. That's Paul. That's part of your testimony. And then you ought to be able to say, but there was a day, there was a place where Jesus saved me. Paul could take and say, let me take you back to the Damascus Road. Let me take you to the right, to the side of the road where God humbled me and I was on my knees and I was crying out, is that you? The one I don't want to believe in. Is that you loving me? I can take you to that place. I can take you to the hour. It was noon. <laughs> Do you have a testimony? I said, well, my testimony is not that exciting. That's your testimony, though. And that'll be enough for somebody else to go, I like it. If he loved you, maybe he loves me too. Um, and then tell him what God's called you to do. God gave me my wife. God gave me, and I get to teach Sunday school. I get to be, be a part of this ministry. I get to serve God. Let me tell you, the Christian life is not just get and run. I get to serve people and serve the Lord. Do you have a testimony? And everyone else here, I hope you realize there is another citizenship available. We're going to go to one more scripture and I'm done. You can close in Acts, go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. There's another citizenship and it's not Jewish, it's not Irish, it's not American. It is the citizenship of heaven. There's a better country, folks. Ephesians 2.8. For by grace, kindness, undeserved kindness, are you saved through, what do you have to do? What do you have to do? Just believe, just faith. And then not of yourselves, salvation not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So not the good work of prayer will save you, not the good work of baptism, only faith in what Jesus did. His good works save sinners. Verse 11, jump down to verse 11. Wherefore, remember that ye, that's us, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. We were called everything by the Jews. Verse 12. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in this world, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Listen to that invitation to a new citizenship. Run down to verse 19. Now, therefore, if you're saved, ye are no more strangers and pilgrims, I'm sorry, strangers and foreigners, but your fellow citizens with the saints and with the household of God. Folks, there's another citizenship, and you need that citizenship. You say, oh, I'm... I already have an Irish citizenship, and I already have a, um, I don't know, a Swedish citizenship. I don't know, <laughs> whatever. You need another citizenship, folks, because <clears throat> you can have all of the things of this life, and when you die without being born again into the family of God with a new passport, folks, that gets you into heaven, you're not going there. You can get it today. I don't have a little stash of passports for heaven up here it's not far from any one of you all you have to do is as we stand and we bow our heads i'm asking you i'm begging you please bow your head and cry out to god best as you can and just ask lord that texan up there said i could ask you for salvation i'm asking and i'm believing
that you did it for me. Stand with me. Let's bow in prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Christian, if you're saved, you have a story. Start telling it. I tell you what, you know what everybody's doing on the internet? Telling their story, aren't they? I mean, they're telling how they make money. They're telling about how they get healthy. They talk about everything. And I'm glad for some Christians who tell their story. You join them. You don't have to have an internet account. You just have to have somebody to talk to. Share your story. That is a gift of God. How God, when God, why God saved you, that's good. And dear friends, if you're not saved, today's a day. I wish, I wish I could tell you, putting it off is the dumbest thing you'll ever do because you have no guarantee when we step out of here and get on our cars and go somewhere that you're not going to end up dead. Your life is only a vapor, and in a moment it could be gone, and you've got a chance right now to say, I believe. I believe it. Not just in my head, but in my heart of hearts. But you got to mean it. you got to want it. And he'll give it. Father, bless what we've heard today. May nobody in this room be comfortable anymore with keeping their mouth shut. Even though we hurt, even though we've been through such valleys and such discouragement, even where we wanted to quit, pray we never do now. Lord, in every situation, I pray we would rise to the challenge and we'd use everything as an opportunity to tell our story of what you've done for us, who we are, where we came from, and what you did for us. Lord, Paul couldn't get enough of opportunities to tell his story. I bet you we'd enjoy it too. I pray as, as we finish this service, I pray that we would never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>